everyone, and uh, welcome to another episode of Digital Reflections uh, with me, Ali Nicol. Alongside me, as always, is Marcus G. Hello there, everyone. How's it going? And our special guest this week is Tom Hedison, who is the program manager at Tech UK, uh, the UK's Technology Trade Association. And Tom looks after smart infrastructure and systems, which covers a whole host of things, uh, but um, in particular, digital twins, smart cities, and climate risk. And uh, Tom is a brilliant guy and a fascinating chap to talk to. But in particular, uh, this week, we've got him on because last week, Tech UK launched a groundbreaking bit of research called Unlocking Value Across the UK's Digital Twin Ecosystem. So, Tom, lovely to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks, Ali. Um, and uh, let's just jump straight in. I, so this uh, report that was launched last Thursday... Unlocking value across the UK's digital twin ecosystem is broad in scope. I mean, one of the things that impressed me most is where we've seen these done before, these kinds of reports, they've been very sector or domain specific. Did Tech UK set out with the intent of, of trying to, to get breadth and, and width on it? Yes, so I guess to give people a a context for who Tech UK is, you know, what we do. Um, So we are the UK's trade association. We represent around 800 different technology companies across the spectrum of different issues, uh, problem domains, sectors. Uh, And what we try to do is essentially coalesce those different companies around particular issues. So um, from the outset of creating uh, the Digital Twins Working Group, which is the entity which has led to the publication of this report, um, we had an interdisciplinary uh, focus um, right from the beginning. So um, the way that we designed it was really to get decision makers, thought leaders, uh, innovators from areas like defence, financial services, healthcare, in the same room, uh, virtually, uh, obviously because of the pandemic, um, but get them together to discuss uh, the future of investment policy and regulation in the sphere. Uh, and that really led to the uh, publication of this uh, particular report. So um, if you look through the report, what you'll see is that we provide uh, a series of um, recommendations for the UK government, but also to industry. Uh, and these recommendations aren't necessarily aimed at a particular sector. Um, they're uh, methodologies that we think uh, you know are transportable, durable across a wide range of different domains, uh, and that's really the, the the focus of the report is providing those uh, foundational recommendations for um, decision makers in the sphere as they move along their uh, digital twin adoption journeys. And as someone who's a, a kind of nexus for these kind of conversations in your role as program manager. Were there any surprises for you in the report, both the pulling of it together and as the recommendations took shape? Yeah, so I think sort of twofold in that respect. So I, I, I suppose the first thing is, you know, taking that interdisciplinary approach right from the beginning. Um, it was just really beneficial for us in terms of the, the through projects um, learning that we had um, you know, bringing stakeholders, decision makers um, from a wide array of different sectors together um, just offered us so much uh, more of a richer insight into the different um, obstacles that digital twin developers are, are facing, as well as the respective benefits that they uh, are delivering within those particular domains as well. Um, so I think that continuous process of learning, um, you know, between companies um, within sectors and then at a national level, I think that was probably the, the, the first core element that came out of that. Um, and then secondly, I think it's really around, um, you know, the, the level of engagement that the UK government is beginning to take 
um, in this sphere as well. So if you look at the recommendations, they're actually targeted at the public sector predominantly. So, um, you know, we think that the UK government can play a huge role in uh, sort of catalyzing uh, the ecosystem. Uh, and the recommendations uh, situate the government as uh, an enabler and convener of action um, uh, across the ecosystem. So um, I think twofold, really, that process of continuous learning, but then also um, the level of influence that the public sector has uh, in catalyzing that industrial activity. And I think it's it's fascinating that where the recommendations come out is at that enabling level rather than the definition level. So not defining what good looks like, but enabling good to happen, I think is a is a really interesting approach and one that feels like the right fit for public funds and usage when you, you look at you know, data for the public good as a kind of starting point for this stuff um, without getting into the spe- specifics of, okay, this is how you should do it and what it should look like. Because as you highlight in the report, people have been doing digital twin stuff since the 2000s. I mean, this is people are already on a journey. You know, as you say, I think the the term itself, digital twin, is often shrouded in sort of conceptual ambiguity and complexity, um, despite the fact that digital twins have been around, you know, for a, a number of years now. So I think the the real bar- barriers that we're facing are really just overcoming that complexity and, uh, I guess, lack of industry consensus around what a digital twin is, but then also the consensus around how a digital twin can be adopted. Uh, and so our real aim was, you know, from that broad interdisciplinary base to develop sort of recommendations that could be um, transported, as I say, across those different domains. Um, And in doing so, then drive um, uh, towards a uh, commonly defined and commonly um, shared uh, approach to to building and deploying and ultimately diffusing digital twins across the UK. Um, So from that technical base, um, driving um, the commonality between digital twins we thought was really important. Uh, and then would lay the foundation long-term for the integration of digital twins across those sectoral and disciplinary backgrounds, which, you know, in the report we spell out as as, as incredibly key for the UK as it looks to uh, combat those complex interconnected challenges that we know um, the UK is facing in the wake of the pandemic. So um, I think building that foundation for integration and ultimately interoperability between digital twins is something that we consistently cite throughout um, the report. And I think it comes from that, uh, industry level consensus around you know, what a digital twin is, how you describe it, what the use cases are, um, what terminology and language you ultimately use to articulate the opportunity that's um, you know associated with a digital twin. That terminology uh, and, and consensus issue is something that's often overlooked and something uh, that people generally uh, sort of just want to move beyond. But I think uh, by uh, addressing it head on, hopefully we've provided a, uh, a significant contribution to the ecosystem and um, laid the foundations for interoperability long term. Yeah, I think I think one of the pieces for me on that was that while you've tackled it head on, we haven't got lost in the um, theological, as it were. Yeah, I, I know it came up at the at the launch event. There was a kind of does something have to exist before you have a digital twin, or can you have the digital? Yeah, the, this, there's this existing schism it seems to me in the just twin world between the chicken and egg of the real and the digital and which kind of and the truth is does it really matter provided the intent is there of having a real world functional output and something physical or non-physical but that exists 
you know, from my perspective, it's a bit, bit neither here nor there. Um, and then that coupled with the vision that runs throughout the document of the need for interaction, the, the kind of federated aspect to it. Uh, you mentioned interoperability, but having our twin does not fix these problems of COVID, you know, recovering from the pandemic, um, net zero emissions leading into the, these big, big challenges. And I, I wondered if you could just reflect on Neil Thompson from Atkins uh, spoke at the uh, launch event. And one of the things that really resonated for me at that event was him saying, you can't do this without digital twins. Solving these problems, solving these huge sociological, climate, economic issues that we face is not possible without digital twins. So we got to talk about how we use them, not whether we use them. And that felt like a emphasis shift from what we've seen previously. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, probably two points on that front. So the first one regarding, I suppose, our approach to the terminology. You know, as you say, I think we designed the definition that we used um, throughout the report to be, um, as I say, flexible and durable. So what that meant in practicality was, um, you know, having uh, a broad um, understanding of what a digital twin um, could actually mean uh, recognizing that across different sectors, um, disciplinary backgrounds, you know, decision makers fundamentally have different views on what a digital twin is, and so we tried to reflect that in the the, the approach that we took to defining a digital twin, um, and I think that gives you a, a strong foundation then to. Um, you know, begin developing um, uh, sort of transportable recommendations as well. Uh, and I think, as you say, I think Neil sort of uh, shifting the, the debate um, there. I think what's key from, from our side is that, you know, we're seeing uh, digital twins already being deployed across a wide range of, of, of different areas. Um, and I think accelerating that adoption will be key. Um, so, um, you know, recognising that um, it's not just one silver bullet that's going to solve all of these different um, issues, uh, recognising instead that these issues are complex, interconnected in nature, uh, and therefore you require solutions that are inherently uh, able to match that complexity and interconnectedness. Um, and digital twins, uh, uh, you know, within uh, unique uh, individual settings are uh, a start, but then it comes down to whether you can interconnect those digital twins to uh, enable that systems thinking. Uh, and those systems level interventions um, across those boundaries. Uh, and we think, you know, in terms of the interoperability um, side of things, I think, uh, you know, we're we're seeing uh, immense opportunities in the here and now to leverage technologies that um, can drive uh, interoperability between digital twins. So, as you say, you know, semantic modeling, um, open data, lots of different technologies that we can see uh, in the here and now that could be leveraged. Um, and then simultaneously, we're seeing in, in the longer term, um, organizations like the CDBB and the, the National Infrastructure uh, Commission building towards uh, a vision of um, an information management framework. Uh, and what the report sets out is uh, essentially uh, advice to industry saying that you should be uh, observing uh, and making use of technologies in the here and now to drive interoperability between digital twins. Uh, but then keeping in mind that this longer term trend is occurring uh, and just having plans in place um, that match uh, and align with that national level ambition. Um, so, you know, keeping your eyes and ears open uh, around uh, what uh, the future of uh, interoperability looks like within a UK context. And then the final part of that answer, I suppose, is, is thinking internationally. So recognising that the UK is not just developing digital twins in isolation, that digital twins made in a UK context can deliver 
um, benefits when integrated with digital twins um, uh, across uh, you know national boundaries. So um, we looked at organisations like the European Commission uh, developing a Destination Earth um, initiative, uh, essentially a, a digital twin of um, different natural ecosystems that uh, can be leveraged and used to inform uh, environmental policy and legislation. Uh, I think there, longer term, you know, there's a, a question there for the UK as to how it's going to design um, our national ecosystem of digital twins to interoperate with those uh, emerging international uh, ecosystems uh, as well. So a multi-dimensional answer, but hopefully I've uh, managed to tackle a few of the points there. You mentioned that um, you kept the definition of digital twins flexible. And um, the reason around that, is that really just to keep an open mind across enterprises, government, et cetera, so that they could come up with new and various solutions that, that are things that didn't necessarily exist before? Yeah, that's, that's really the, the case. I mean, from our perspective, it was around two years ago when we saw, uh, as you mentioned uh, previously, Ali, you know, the, the data for public good uh, report come out and, and that led to the foundation development of the UK's National Digital Twin Programme. Um, and that was predominantly, uh, you know, based in the, the UK's built environment uh, sector. So um, we're seeing a lot of applications of digital twins within the construction and built environment space, um, you know, incredibly transformative projects, which are set to deliver, you know, benefits to people, the economy, uh, citizens and the planet, uh, the planet long term. But what we also saw that there were, you know, digital twins being developed in these other domains. And within those domains, they tended to have separate definitions, you know, that, uh, essentially might contrast with definitions of digital twins emerging in the built environment uh, sector. But as we saw um, the CDBB and the, the National Digital Twin Programme taking a, an increasing stake in um, you know, how um, policy frameworks, investment frameworks, regulatory interventions are designed for the ecosystem, um, what we really wanted to do was provide a, a critical but friendly source of advice, if you like, which sort of fed in those interdisciplinary inputs and uh, enrich the uh, the proposals that they're developing to ensure that that wider um, sectoral base was also considered as those uh, proposals emerge. So I think the the key point is really you know the digital twin initiatives and definitions that are emerging in other areas are naturally complementary, but there is a risk that they could um, potentially overlap and that that um, uh, you know misalignment in terms of the terminology used to describe a digital twin might long term inhibit the interoperability across those sectoral boundaries. So um, we recognise that as a potential problem uh, and hopefully have designed this group to, um, you know, fill that vacuum of input, which we um, saw a couple of years ago. I um, I personally love the the vision within precision approach to this. You know, we, we, know where, we know where we're going and there are, you know, um, Jonathan Ayres at AMRC, uh, and I know you work very closely with them, Rab Scott, uh, the director there was at, at the launch event. But, that, you know, they talk of, of the fact that it's an approach, you know, the technology exists, people can do stuff today, but the vision that we, we will need to come together and work together across sectors, across national boundaries means that we don't know quite what that's going to look like, but it is coming. So you know, keep an eye out for it. So as a kind of final um, element of this, I, I wonder where next for, for you and Tech UK in terms of, of what you're doing. Obviously there's some follow-up lobbying perhaps a bit strong, but the kind of, yeah, there are recommendations here, you know, that taking that to government and saying that this is what we recommend, but I wonder what kind of your vision for the next steps of, of the program and Tech UK's involvement will be. 
the first core element that's sort of spinning out the back of it and that we've already discussed um, you know, in depth here is, is really around that interoperability piece. So um, I think, you know, working more with the national program, with the companies uh, across our group, and then also those other stakeholders in and across government, um, across the UK's uh, R&D ecosystem that are, um, you know, at the forefront of developing and deploying digital twins, but haven't necessarily got to the stage where they're thinking about how they interoperate with uh, with each other. Um, so I think just broadening that scope of interaction to um, you know highlight our approach to, to driving interoperability and uh, begin enabling them to understand what tools are uh, at their disposal uh, and, uh, and how they can begin developing those foundations for interoperability. The second element then I think is around just you know looking at the UK's political timetable. So um, towards the end of the year in November. Uh, the UK uh, and Glasgow as a city is going to be hosting the uh, COP26 UN Global uh, Summit on uh, Climate Change. So uh, we think there's an incredible opportunity there for the UK to um, pitch uh, essentially the UK's uh, digital twin ecosystem at that conference, um, highlight how you know uh, UK uh, enterprises are using digital twins to decarbonise, um, and ultimately convincing other um, you know international actors um, to begin exploring digital twins and using them. Um, to decarbonise. And we think there's a, a massive opportunity to do so, uh, and that's uh, articulated in the report. And then the third element, I think, is around uh, the procurement of digital twins. So one of the key points that we focus on in the report is that I guess there's this mis- misconception that digital twins are sort of one-off uh, linear products and services that can be procured off the shelf, if you like. Uh, and what we see actually is that digital twins almost result from a significant systems integration effort and by that we mean, you know, there are a wide range of different technical um, and socio-technical components that uh, go into making a digital twin. Uh, and it's often difficult for decision makers, um, you know, and they tend to have, you know, generalist backgrounds um, to understand how you can uh, procure and then integrate those different technical components. And so um, one of the things that we're going to be doing uh, over the next few months is working with our supplier base to understand the dynamics of how that operates in, uh, in practicality. Um, what a, uh, a useful tool um, for those procure, procurers um, of technology would look like. Uh, and then ultimately just building out the granularity of our proposals for government. So again, if you take a look through the report, you'll see one of the recommendations is uh, around, in, around building a uh, procurement mechanism for digital twins. Um, and so again, it's just a case of um, providing more detail to the government as it looks to uh, implement that recommendation. Brilliant. And, and that uh, that last point there uh, leads us on very nicely. One of the things that we like to do on this uh, nascent podcast is invite people to bring in uh, articles, links, documents, um, videos, anything really that they've seen that has stimulated some thought and, and interest for them. And I know that you have uh, brought along the uh, skills and competency framework from the CDBB. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it um, as a as a doc and why why you um, why you brought it with you? Yeah, sure. So um, a few days actually. Uh, sorry, I'll start again now. That's okay. Yeah, sure. So the the CDBB uh, recently um, uh, released uh, with the National Digital Twin Program and in partnership with the Construction Innovation Hub um, a skills and competency framework that uh, essentially helps individuals, organisations. Uh, training bodies to understand what the roles and competencies needed to support the digital twin 
uh, uh, rollout um, look like. And so, um, you know, we think this is a really good resource, um, represents the first step in a journey to set out and develop um, the skills and competencies required to reimagine um, you know, the career pathways or to, um, required to build out a digital twin or to, um, you know, grow your organization as you look to um, test and deploy digital twins within your context. And yeah, I, I think it's just a really strong document that's obviously grounded in the context of the UK's built environment, but with important lessons for other sectors and problem domains. Uh, and it's an area that Tech UK, again, will be looking at in more detail. So from our side, um, you know, thinking about critical elements uh, associated with mobilizing a team in the in the digital twin space. So, so it's an area that TechEK will be looking at in more detail. So from our side, the critical elements we think are important include uh, building off an interdisciplinary base, uh, championing diversity as you build uh, a digital twin team, listening to and learning from domain, domain experts as well. So you know, if you don't have the domain expertise to understand uh, the complex dimensions of the real world system. It's difficult to use a digital twin because um, you know they enhance understanding of that system. Uh, and then potentially, most crucially, um, is really developing the analytical capability to uh, think in abstract terms over time. So sometimes, you know, it's 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 important to be able to think in metaphors, if you like, think about how uh, abstract concepts will um, ultimately evolve. Uh, and we think that having those uh, types of individuals within your organization will uh, ultimately drive forward those conditions for scalability, extensibility, um, interoperability um, that we you know, highlight as crucial to um, delivering that sort of systems level uh, change uh, within the report itself. Yeah, I think, I think it's fascinating. Um, we've touched on this a couple of times in other conversations about how the, the world is changing and skills are going to need to be different. And you, know, you can't, you can't claim in radical innovation that fundamentally changes how we do business and how we interact with each other. It's going to be you know, the skills we know today are going to make us fit for purpose. And I think one of the things that comes out of the, the report that you've shared is that um, the things around real focus on transformational leadership, uh, business analysis, but also the data modeling, security and ethics, both of which do speak to me to the point, exactly the point you're making about thinking in the abstract over time, as you move from kind of linear project-based integrations and IT solutions to these um, through life, digital thread, data mesh, you know, all the, all the, all the um, uh, gubbins uh, that surrounds digital twins, the interactions and interoperability, it fundamentally changes how you have to think about things. And, and, and that is a skill. Um, and it, it's not a skill that can't be learned. I mean, it, it, that's, again, it's why it's nice that these skills frameworks are coming out now and it's great to hear the tech UK are looking at it as well um, because it is something that can be learned. It's not that there are some elite cadre of people who will become incredibly valuable and the rest of us are, are doomed um, to, to um, scraping around for breadcrumbs, but, I, I, but it's something that needs focus. From our side, I think one point that potentially needs to be articulated beyond the, the publication of the report is just to say, you know, digital twinning is not inherently uh, a, a task resigned for specialists. So you can't be a non-specialist. You can be someone in your, uh, you know, in your garden shed developing a digital twin. Um, you can develop it of your Christmas tree lights. You can develop it of, uh, you know, your 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 fridge to determine uh, where your uh, when your milk supplies are, are running uh, uh, short. But I do think that, that there is a value in um, taking note of these um, sort of national level frameworks um, surrounding adoption, because if you're an enterprise that's 
you know, seriously considering high-level investment in um, you know, complex, high-value uh, assets, then it's almost a case of digital twins should be seen as a, a necessary investment alongside that investment because they dramatically de-risk and accelerate um, the course of adoption uh, across such a wide array of different uh, areas. So um, the report is really focused on you know, providing, uh, if you like, a, a, a foundational view on the environment that you need to do that. Um, the other resource that I point to is also the uh, Centre for Digital Good Britain's uh, Digital Twin Toolkit uh, report. Uh, so that gives you uh, a perspective on how you can build uh, a business case, uh, if you like, for a digital twin. So again, a, a really sort of interesting uh, resource that's uh, emerging organically and from, uh, again, an interdisciplinary base. Um, and really excited to see how that uh, piece of work emerges uh, in the future too. Brilliant. And talking about organic um, development emergent, um, Marcus, you uh, shared with me something from Wired magazine. The Opti uh, visualization, which I thought was a very fascinating, I guess, visualization of what the internet looked like uh, 20 years ago versus what it looks like today. I was just sort of curious to sort of pick your brain a bit, Tom, on, you know, what what comes to mind for you when you look at that visualization? What are your, like some of your first initial thoughts? Yeah, sure. So I think that, you know, the visualization from my end, I think it shows the constantly expanding and evolving nature of the internet. And I think that, you know, inherently reflects the scope and character of the growth that's currently emerging across the UK's um, digital twin ecosystem, but across the the global market as a whole as well. Um, And I think what it also underlines is that there is that need to, um, you know, reduce the overall cost of, of building point to point connections between um, you know, different elements and, and different actors associated with um, digital twins. Uh, and by this, we mean, you know, can we develop those bespoke localized data sharing connections between digital twins? Uh, and what ultimately is the importance of um, improving the quality, consistency uh, and security of data sharing across sectors with greater resilience and agility? Uh, I think those questions need to be sort of urgently addressed and there's different ways of approaching those questions. Um, but I think that's that's really what jumps out to me. And I think, you know, beyond it being a, a really fascinating, uh, eye-catching uh, visual, visualisation, um, I think it just shows that expansion uh, and the need for uh, enablers of interconnectedness between those different nodes of uh, development. Yeah, that actually like ties into the the next thought that I was going to try to explore a little bit more is, you know, the visualization, it just has so many different pieces of data. It shows data from China. It shows how certain political activities affect uh, the internet usage. And I wanted to see uh, from both you and from Ali, uh, how do you think, you know, this piece of art can be utilized beyond just being a, an illustrative piece? So from my, my perspective, uh, I think Art is a great way of describing it, that and and that the absolute truism that art reveals stuff about ourselves that we may not have been aware of is vital. I mean, there's the obvious expansion from from 2003 to 2020 or 2021, I guess. Um, and you're, so we're actually talking about less than 20 years and the explosion of hub and spokes, but also I think that it really struck me tying back to Tom's piece of the kind of what Mark Enzer would describe as agreeing the rules of the game is that you could not, I I refuse to accept that someone could have mapped how 2003 would have evolved to 2021 in a kind of linear functional process piece. I think when you look at it, it is art, it is natural, it feels organic. Um, 
it is very fractal. You know, there's there's all sorts of of ways of looking at it. But the thing that struck me was you were looking at the interactions and intersections of communities ultimately. That it's a very, very human way of visualizing a technological piece. And the need, therefore, to say, if that took, uh, he does the maths terribly in his head, 18 years, um, you know, 17 worth of data, uh, where might we be in 10 years and what will be the challenges and how do we support it and how, how do you effectively have the right growth medium that means that those communities can continue to interact and we end up with a brilliant, beautiful, kaleidoscopic interactive piece rather than a further quarantining or, or, or um, secluding or siloing of the pieces. Um, and that de- I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to see it in 10 years' time and I'd love to see a really decentralised, dense tapestry uh, rather than something that was quite so hub and spoke. Yeah, I completely uh, agree on that front. And I think the, the only other point that I'll add is really just around, I suppose, the importance of, of human-machine interaction um, as a concept for the UK's digital twin ecosystem. I mean, um, when we think about the potentially transformative nature of digital twins initiatives, so, um, you know, we mentioned the Destination Earth Initiative, for example, using digital twins to inform um, systems level interventions um, and to uh, inform the development of legislation and environmental policy, which has a, a massive implication for um, you know how different systems uh, across uh, Europe um, operate. Um, when we think about the, the the size and scope of these types of initiatives, uh, I think really understanding how um, the different uh, insights gleaned from digital twins are presented to, to decision makers is such a key issue. Uh, if they're presented in the wrong way, that presents a, a risk for um, the decisions that are made in the real world off the back of um, the development of a digital twin. Uh, if there's not a comprehensive, um, commonly uh, accepted approach to capturing risks um, associated with a digital twin uh, and then conveying those in a digestible way to decision makers that are ultimately in charge of using those digital twins to make real world decisions, um, you know, that can have incredibly uh, broad and long lasting consequences for um, the systems that we depend on to thrive. So I think just only to add, you know, that human computer interaction element is is so key um, and shouldn't be overlooked. And it's actually one of the, the critical elements that we um, cite in the report as, um, you know, being involved in that uh, control loop between real world um, and digital systems. And, 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 and yeah, you're, you're very good at this, Tom. That, that tees up, I think, um, the piece that I've bought perfectly. So I bought a, a Medium blog uh, about NTT disruptions, uh, virtual patient observation. And the bit that struck me most, so this is um, some work that's being done by Everest uh, in Brazil um, about how you can best use technology to manage patients 24 seven um, and uh, use virtualization. They don't specifically talk about digital twins, but a lot of the language was very digital twin to me in terms of how they talked about abstracting um, from the patient and, and round the clock care. But the real key pullout quote for me was from uh, Katia Galvain. That's almost certainly not how you pronounce her surname. So I apologize. Who's the health director at Everest in Brazil, who said the connection between technology and health is visionary in a future that is constantly reinventing itself. Hybrid, hybrid healthcare is more than a trend. It is a fact. 
And that twinned with the fact that this isn't intended to replace face-to-face care, but augment it, I thought was just a really nice intersection of exactly what you were saying, Tom, about the need for human and machine. And we don't want to remove the creative, to tie in Marcus's bit about art, the creative problem solving and and uh, intervention and, and vision of our healthcare professionals. But technology can surely augment what we can do and can extend our ability to monitor people's health and, and round the clock healthcare and, and, you know, the kind of, um, dismissively the worried well, but the, you know, the kind of actually what are people doing with healthcare beyond, beyond the point of interventions, I think is a really interesting direction for this kind of, uh, evolution of thinking. Something that we, we definitely try to bring out in the report we you know we, we recognize particularly that um you know if you don't take that socio-technological uh, approach from the outset if you don't recognize that there are um you know broad perspectives that you need to consider um through the life cycle of the of the digital twin um it ultimately leads you, you leaves you prone to um you know, a lack of sustainability uh, lack of buy-in and ultimately the decisions that are made off the back of the digital twin itself um, you know, might not produce the um, ethical consequences that you're um, setting out to. Um, that said, I think, um, you know, the application of digital twins in, in healthcare is hugely significant uh, and underlines the value that they can bring in areas where it's often difficult or, or highly risky to uh, run experiments in the real world. So, uh, and we also know that the UK's health services are under incredible strain in the wake of the pandemic. Uh, and again, you know, digital twins are, are already playing a role in enhancing and public service management. So how can we look to accelerate the adoption of digital twins within those key um, sectors that are under the, uh, under immense stress uh, in the wake of the pandemic? And I think uh, it's in these critical yet often stretched domains that we need to really shift the paradigm of digitalization uh, towards digital twin adoption. So, you know, areas like childcare, healthcare, um, where there are um, significant imbalances in people's access um, to those services, how can digital twins uh, serve as a leveller uh, and enable, um, you know, the reduction ultimately of social inequality across the UK? Um, that's a, a critical theme that we look to pull out. And I think ultimately, you know, it comes down to the level of empathy that um, those leading um, you know, digital transformation projects have for, um, you know, those in need and how far they can recognise um, the degree of social transformation they can enact. Um, through using uh, digital twins to their full effect. Uh, and so hopefully, you know, it's a, it's an optimistic uh, view, but I think that, um, you know, over the long term, people will begin to realise the, the transformative benefits that digital twins can bring. Uh, and as people do, uh, and as people bring them uh, into play within their, uh, you know, unique organisational settings, um, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, uh, the UK will be much better for it and can serve as a, a shining light for, for other uh, countries um, as they look to uh, transform their own institutions, uh, organisations and, and sectors, ultimately. And just pulling together a few things that we sort of covered throughout this throughout this conversation and applying it to to virtualize patient observation and, and and other solutions is that like there's a few things here. Digital twins is an approach and not a solution. And part of that approach is keeping an open mind for what can be done and how it could be utilized, and not actually confining any train of thought into one specific solution. Um, 
And I, and I thought that was like one of the things that could really help expand the different kinds of things, the different kinds of initiatives that could be done inside of a virtual patient observation. And even with uh, the, the previous article where uh, we had that art visualization, um, thinking outside of that box, you know, having people, these different, um, the different uh, titles and, and types of people that, you know, you mentioned with the article that you brought along, not being siloed into any particular job or task, but actually being open to coming up with new and innovative solutions. And the other thing, uh, and what Ali mentioned earlier is, you know, which, which one kind of comes first, the digital twin or the data? And one of the things that pop in my head is which should come first, the digital twin or the solution. And at the end of the day, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter. And also maybe the digital twin comes first. We put in a digital twin, we get the, the information, we get the data, we're actually able to utilize it, allow it to interoperate. And then all kinds of solutions can come out of all kinds of different people that are involved. So I think that's a, one of the little fascinating things that's sort of popping up. I, I think that's really interesting, Margaret. And I think it ties to Tom's point about when I hear it about the need for use cases, and how you start and whatever, effectively starting from the problem end. You know, one of the things that uh, we've seen in the US in particular in the healthcare sector uh, with COVID is things like um, longitudinal patient studies and, um, uh, and those kind of double blind studies have been that much harder. I mean, they're already really difficult um, to get you know, proper double blind studies going and so on uh, and manage all the variables. And so, but then you look at, actually can people travel can we get access to people you know do, do can we have physical proximity to people suddenly it all gets very difficult we've seen my my smarter essex and others discussing the kind of well actually if you've got anonymized digital twins of people and cohorts of people you can actually get a lot more granular and i know this was something that um patients like me uh, with digital me were doing five or six years ago was actually hold on globally You've got all these people that share common physiology, share common environmental aspects, share common lifestyle approaches. Can't we do something with these that means that we are absolutely generating new data on studies of all sorts of uh, longitudinal aspects without having to start from scratch every time, without having to find people and source them and, and, and talk to them? And, and I think that that optimism is the bit that's really shining out for me from the stuff that you've been telling, Tom, and indeed that the report highlights is that these are proper tricky challenges, but there may just be an approach that can help us solve them. And it, and it will not be easy and it will not be delivered to us on a plate. But if we can have a bit of a roadmap, if we can unlock the value, then, then actually these aren't intractable problems. They aren't the unsolvable dilemmas that we've just accepted. They are stuff that we can do something about. And I think that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely spot on. And uh, I, I suppose, you know, we start the report uh, and we started this conversation even, uh, you know, talking about the, the complex interconnected nature of um, the challenges that the UK faces. And I think to an extent, the, the complexity, um, you know, uh, associated with those challenges arises from the fact that, you know, the world is constantly evolving. It's constantly growing in um, complexity. There's an increasing number of actors um, involved in decision making. There are um, emerging risks, be they environmental related, related to um, cybersecurity that are sort of constantly shifting um, in, in terms of their, fo their focus and scope. And so I think that almost necessitates an approach that um, is dynamic and adaptive and responsive to those um, changing circumstances. And I think that's inherently what a digital twin is. It's, it's something that um, you know, ultimately reflects the, the state and behavior of something 
um, in the real world uh, and then uses that understanding to inform decision making um, that is uh, you know ultimately itself uh, then uh, dynamic and responsive to those changing circumstances as well so um, I think it's as Neil said, I think it's you know becoming a, a, almost an imperative that digital twins are included as part of that decision-making cycle. What we try to do in the report is um, build uh, a sense of you know if you're thinking uh, that a digital twin is uh, part of the answer and um, to that uh, increasing level of complexity and, and changing uh, levels of risk that you're facing uh, and deep uncertainty. Then you know how do you ultimately develop those foundations for? scalability, interoperability, uh, extensibility. Um, how can you build a, a foundational environment that is um, dynamic and uh, responsive to um, shifting capabilities, but also, you know, potentially, potentially, uh, you know, uh, important events and, and, and time horizons as they, as they evolve. Um, and I think just having that future focus from the outset, having the, um, you know, uh, preconception that things will inevitably change uh, and that you just have to develop plans which, um, you know, uh, prepare for that uh, degree of um, uh, change uh, as best you can. I think that is the the approach that we try to advocate and uh, hopefully one that will uh, put the UK in a, a leading position in terms of how it, at a sector, uh, a national level is preparing for those systems level changes that um, we will inevitably face uh, and developing a, a risk mitigation strategy almost, if you like, um, that is uh, anticipatory. Uh, and uh, is prepared for uh, big changes uh, that we know are coming. Fantastic. And what a what a brilliant uh, summation. That unfortunately is all we have time for today, but um, it has been fascinating. So the report we've been discussing is Unlocking Value Across the UK's Digital Twin Ecosystem. Um, the man behind it, uh, I, I realise it's not a one-man job, but Tom has been driving this um, with uh, ruthless efficiency, is uh, Tom Henderson, who's the Programme Manager at Tech UK, uh, the UK's Technology Trade Association. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for taking time to talk to us. Thank you very much and uh, delighted to be on here. Brilliant. So uh, from me, Ali Nickel, and from Marcus G. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. We'll uh, see you next time. Thanks very much.